morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10 o'clock a.m. on March the 5th. Wait a minute, no, God, no, April the 5th. No, shit, it's May the 5th. I didn't do one on May the 4th because honestly, all you would have gotten was a bunch of this and maybe some, I don't know, maybe some of this. Yeah, yeah, no, I I just couldn't bring myself to go through the, the hyperbole of May the 4th, so I laid off, but I'm back. Um, it is episode 234 of Bitcoin, and let's get into why I kind of laid off for a little while. Uh, I have been having some nerve problems in my arm, as you guys know, but uh, last week we got a bit of news that was, there's no other way to put it, y'all. It was fucked up. Uh, The whole situation was, I will say it again, fucked up. Uh, My father-in-law died. Okay, well. You know, that happens, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been through two two family deaths. My, I've, you know, my mother died when I was young, and then my father died about 15 years ago. So it's, I've seen a lot of death. My stepdad died. Uh, that was that's a messed up story that I'm not going to get into. But I mean, it's not like death doesn't occur, right? So why was this one all messed up? Because he died two and a half years ago. Let me say that again. We found out last week that my wife's father died two and a half years ago. How the hell does that happen, do you ask? I'll tell you how it happens. This is what happens when you have family family breakdown. When you're from a family that... Um, has some serious issues. This is this is how that occurs. My wife uh, grew up in a family who's basically the matriarch of the mother. Um, is a ah uh, the only way I can describe it is as an actual narcissist. Now, in in in, I've called people narcissists before, but generally speaking, you know, it's like no 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 no. That's just somebody who's really, generally speaking, somebody who's, you know, calls somebody else a narcissist, you know, that person is, you know, the the person that's being called a narcissist is probably just a dick. I mean, come on, let's, let's be real. A true narcissist is about what I'm, is about what I'm about to describe here. Um, about eight and a half, maybe getting on to nine years ago, my wife and uh, uh, her mom decided, or they basically stopped talking to each other. And somehow or another, because of the control that this particular woman has on the rest of her family, 
one by one, the father and the brother stopped talking to my wife, even though my wife's beef was with her mom, not, not her dad and, and not certainly not her brother. Well, you know, like about like the last week, the way she found out is that she really had to get a hold of her brother. So, uh, she went and found him and it took a, it took a, a bit of doing to find him. But when they started talking, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, dad died. And that's how she found out. Yeah, they weren't, I mean, it's like they weren't going to tell her. And what's odd about that is that her father hurt himself, went through this. Uh, He found out that his mom died from somebody in his family when he was young. And she had died about two years before he found out and nobody told him. What's, you know, and the thing about this one is, is that there was no funeral. There's not a headstone. There are no ashes. It's like her mom erased her husband. I mean, I'm telling you, man, this is as messed up as it gets. I, I've seen a lot of shit. This one threw me threw me for a loop. I've never seen anything like this. And as you can imagine, the problems that it caused uh, is one of the reasons why I haven't done a show in a while. Because, dude, I didn't. I don't know. I still don't know what to do with this. I have no idea what it would be like to find out that my dad died two and a half years ago and nobody bothered to tell me. I mean, honestly, guys, I don't care how bad the family situation is, how much people in the, you know, in a family fight or how much animosity there might be. You, what you don't do is you don't not tell somebody that their parent died or that their sibling died or, you know, Come on. Honestly, really? You can't get over yourself that much to not do this shit? Uh, so, yeah, there's that. So, anyway, I'm back. Um, it's a messed up situation. It's going to be messed up for a while. But I can't just not do this show. So, let's go ahead and get into... At least one story for the morning roundup, and then I want to do something a little bit special. So let's let's do this one first. Uh, this is out of uh, this is Greg Thompson writing on well sometime this morning for decrypt.co. Stimulus checks spent on Bitcoin are now up thirty five percent. Oh, money appeared to go burr when the stimulus checks were handed out. Many people use them to buy Bitcoin. It's already paying off. Yes, it is. Uh, those who purchase Bitcoin with their coronavirus stimulus checks have already profited to the tune of 35%. When the U.S. government checks arrived in mid-April, many announced their intention to splurge on guns, tigers, and Bitcoin. This was not long after the price of Bitcoin was cut in half over two days in March. CEO Brian Armstrong of Coinbase provided data which showed a near fourfold increase in the number of Bitcoin purchases on the exchange worth exactly $1,200, the same amount as the stimulus check on the day they were handed out. Now, Bitcoin buyers have seen returns of 35% in just a few weeks. That's based on a buy-in price of $6,674 on April the 13th when the first batch of stimulus checks were rolled out. Money printer go brrrr. The price of Bitcoin continued to climb all throughout April, and at the time of writing, one Bitcoin is not worth $9,000. Ooh, ow! 
ouch. In an unprecedented move, the United States Treasury ordered President Donald Trump's name to be printed on the stimulus checks. Now those who invested in their Trump change in Bitcoin are celebrating their victory on Reddit. However, some suggested that victory may only be short-termed one. Quote, let's see if you still have the same gain on May the 13th, said one commentator or commenter, whatever, on Reddit. That refers to the day after the Bitcoin block reward having an event still riddled with uncertainty. On this day, the new supply of Bitcoin will be cut in half, making life harder for Bitcoin miners like it hasn't happened before. Jesus, this is the third one, guys. Come on. Notably, much of the altcoin market performed better than Bitcoin over the past few weeks. Given Digibyte's recent ascension up the market cap, to top 100, putting Trump change into DGB on April the 13th would have netted 250% gains by now. As always, caution is warranted when throwing money at shit coins, not least amid a pandemic. Throwing a stimulus check money on Bitcoin appears to have paid off for now, but with such a volatile price, it is truly a gamble. Oh, stop it, Decrypt. Come on, man. Just come on. And this whole Digibyte thing, I'm just hearing about this today, honestly. I mean, I've kind of like, you know, because of the whole thing, I've been not as glued to Twitter as usual. So I'm just really getting, you know, kind of getting back into this. And I'm looking at this Digibyte thing going, oh, Jesus. It's like nobody ever learns. Nobody's ever going to learn, I, I guess. Anyway, so now before we get into the rest of the morning roundup, I wanted to, uh, Shout out to the Hive, Hive One guys. Um, hi, at Hive dot one is going to be the uh, the Twitter handle of that. And Hive has been around for a while. It's sort of like, uh, kind of like a crypto ratings website. It's more than that, okay. But just for the uninitiated, like I have a Hive rating. I've like because I've got their extension installed into my browser so that. They, yeah, they can talk to my Twitter account and my Twitter account can talk to them and give them data. And so I've got, you know, a rating, but they, there's a lot more about Hive than, than just that rating thing. And they're doing some more stuff now. And I learned this from their CEO yesterday because I had it about an hour long conversation with him. No, I did not record it because it was not for general, you know, public consumption but I have been allowed to talk about, you know, what it is that, that I was presented with. Uh, they are finally going to release, and they've been working on this for a couple of years now, at least a year, um, a podcast section on their website. Now, if you want to go to their website, it's hive.one. Just type in hive.one into your, <clears throat> into your URL uh, place in your browser, and you'll, you'll find it, okay? Um, for a while, they've had... Uh, this, this podcasts, you know, heading up there that it just kind of wasn't functional, but uh, it's going to be functional, hopefully very soon. It's functional for me because I have early, a little bit of early access. Okay. Cause I was given early access by Hive One CEO so that he could show me what the hell this thing actually does. And I got to tell you, it's slick. Okay. So they've got my podcast, Bitcoin and, uh, into their system and they've been collecting data on my podcast. And so it, 
this is what I can tell you right now. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that this thing is going to be a lot more than, than what I'm about to tell you. But I got to tell you right now, what I'm seeing is pretty slick because I can go to my dashboard and look at my podcast manager in the hive.one website. And I have literally at list a lot of the URLs that my podcast is being fed into. I didn't tell hive that now. Okay, before everybody loses their mind about data collection, there are some people that I want to have my data. There are some people that I that I actually do trust. The world governments, no, I don't trust them. I like the guys at Hive One, so it's odd, you know, it's cool that I see that they've already listed all the URLs that my podcast are on, like the SoundCloud URL, uh, Overcast, Stitcher, Podbay. Uh, the Apple podcast URL. I mean, it's it's all right here. I can look at all this stuff. Now, here's the catch. Right now, it's it's I, I'm pretty sure this is, I, well, this is going to expand, but right now, they're also kind of marrying together information about my podcast from the Twitter feed. You know, the basically the, the Twitter API, or rather the, the fire hose of data, their algorithm is scraping uh, any, like if somebody mentions Bitcoin and either through a hashtag or, you know, in, in very many cases, just the words Bitcoin and all of a sudden there's, I have links to tweets about Bitcoin and right here in my podcast manager. And what's cool about it is that if I'm looking at like the episodes like in my podcast manager, it says like the last episode up was episode 233, which sadly was what? April the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while guys. Um, so yeah, um, I'm seeing like, like a, an entry for Bitcoin and episode 233. Um, they updated that or updated that on April the 20th, even though that I, I cut that and released it on the 13th. Um, as far as I know, I did it on the 13th in either event. Um, oh no, no, that was that. I'm sorry. That was April the 20th. So that was the last time. So they've got, what happens is that they give, there's a, I, I get a rating score and that's, you know, we won't talk about that right now, but there's a list of, there will be a list of tweets that I can see that had, you know, of anybody that tweeted out anything about that particular episode. So you would have to say episode, you know, or episode 233 of Bitcoin and in your tweet. And all of a sudden I'm going to see that tweet, not on Twitter, but on my hive dashboard manager. And I got to tell you, man, being able to collect that kind of metrics is it, it, it's a tool. Like if, if you're saying, well, so what? Well, if I look at a hammer, I can also say, so what? So happens, I know what you can do with a hammer, all the different things you can do with a hammer, right? So this is sort of like a hammer. If you're just looking at the hammer itself, it's like, so what? Yay, whoop-de-doo. It's what you can do with it, okay? So I, I don't know all the stuff that I can do with this yet, but it's gonna it, it's going to come. And the fact that it's... All this information is kind of flowing into this one-stop shop of where I can look at like what's going on with all my stuff is going to be very useful. 
is going to be very, very useful. So there's in my podcast manager, I've got like two tabs. I've got an episode tab, which tells me like all the information about the episodes themselves, related tweets, what URLs that they've hit, that kind, you know, ratings, that kind of thing. But there's another tab called tweets. And this is what's really neat is that I can go and I can look at the tweets that were made about, you know, Bitcoin and, or specifically any particular uh, episodes. And I can, like, there's been a couple, let's see, there's a, there was one from a, like uh, Chris Wheeler tweeted out, like, I think retweeted one of my tweets announcing a show and it showed up. I can actually, there's on the, on the right hand side of each one of these tweet notifications is the ability for me to go in and say, like, if somebody said uh, something really bad about that podcast, that man, you got, you suck, dude. Well, I've got a sentiment thing that I can, like, there's three things here. It's like a positive, negative, or neutral. So if somebody said something really crappy about me, I could just mark that as a negative tweet and tag it. And then Hive One's algorithm is going to do all manner of stuff with that. Or somebody says, you know, something nice about me, I can set that particular tweet. As far as Hive.one is concerned, I can set that to positive or I could set it to neutral and tag it. Or I can flat out reject a particular tweet if it didn't make, for whatever reason, didn't make any sense. Like, let's say somebody said, uh, tagged an episode of mine and was shilling a shit coin. I would just flat out reject that so that their algorithm can learn over time that if somebody's using like clout chasing or whatever, not that I got a lot of clout, I get it guys, but let's say I did. And somebody was saying, see, you know, over here at Bitcoin and he loves Digibyte coin. No, I freaking don't. It's a shit coin. I'm going to reject that tweet. And then Hive.1's algorithm will say, yeah, let's learn how to not put those things up. So anyway, for podcasters, I think this is going to be a really interesting tool. I, and I, I'm, I'm so excited about being able to dive into this and use it. So I wanted to give you guys a head up of what was coming. Now, when I asked the CEO when this is going to be released for the general public consumption, he's like, yeah, let's not talk about timelines. And rightly so, because every single time, everything in this space is going to be two weeks. And then it's not, right? I mean, we've seen it time and time again. So I'm just going to say, hopefully in the very near future, you will see this released. But you got to give them latitude, man. If they find, if they scrape together a bug, they're going to have to fit. They're going to want to fix that shit before they release it. So give them some time. But if you haven't looked into Hive, uh, you might want to give it a shot here. So again, Hive.one, that is dot O-N-E, spell out the word one there. All right. So now, uh, again, I want to, you know, I feel really honored that I got to talk to the guys over at, at Hive One about this and truly excited. I want you guys to go check it out. Now, getting back into the snooze you can use. Iran ditches the real amid hyperinflation as local Bitcoin seems to trade near $35,000. Jesus, God almighty. This is 
Colin Post writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Iran's parliament votes to institute a new currency as coronavirus and sanctions hyperinflate the real and local Bitcoin prices skyrocket relative to official exchanges. Per a May 4th report from local outlet Mare News, Iran's new reforming monetary and banking law has passed in parliament. The new law dictates the transition from real to the toman, valued at 10,000 reals within the next two years. <laughs> Buddy Pritter, go burr. Back in 2018, Iranian authorities set an official exchange rate at some 42,000 real to the dollar. Many currency exchanges still show this is the going rate. At the same time, peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange local Bitcoins is seeing prices of Ooh, my God, 1.4, is that, it is, 1.4 billion reals per BTC, according to the official exchange rate, which is roughly $34,500 US. It is, however, not the time to start selling BTC in Iran. Despite official proclamations, the real has taken a beating alongside the Iranian economy. According to Radio Free Europe, black market trading had the U.S. dollar selling for 156,000 reals, the Toman would cut four zeros off of current rates, but may well run into the same problems that have stymied the real. Well, of course it is. It's fiat bullshit currency. What do you expect? United States sanctions following President Trump 2018 withdrawal from a 2015 nuclear deal initially set in motion years of hyperinflation and economic woes. More recently, Iran struggled to contain the coronavirus and the collapse of the price of oil have compounded existing problems. Cointelegraph has previously reported on the increasing value of crypto to Iranians. Other countries facing hyperinflation have used crypto to combat slipping values. Most recently, Venezuela saw a new BTC-backed synthetic dollar. (laughs) Uh, just, Just buy Bitcoin. Ripple hit with yet another XRP class action lawsuit. Bitcoin Manipulation Abatement, LLC, is the latest plaintiff to try to get a court to answer the billion-dollar question, is XRP a security? Well, it certainly most is a hobo wine, I'll give it that. This is made by or written by Amy Castor for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday, which was May the 4th be with you. A new class action lawsuit has been filed against crypto giant Ripple and its CEO Brad Garlinghouse, alleging securities laws violations regarding the sale and marketing of XRP. The lawsuit alleges that Ripple created the XRP cryptocurrency for the sole purpose of making its founders and a few other people rich. Could you think? The suit filed on Friday... Uh, in the Northern California District Court, claims that XRP, the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap, according to data collected by Nomics, was marketed to the public to raise more than $1 billion U.S. In order to drive up demand, Ripple made a litany of false and misleading statements regarding XRP. The suit alleges the complaint was filed by attorney Pavel Pagodin through his company Consensus Law, located in Isla Verde, Puerto Rico. The plaintiff is Bitcoin Manipulation Abatement, LLC, a curious entity with virtually no online presence. According to public records, the entity was set up in March of 2019 by Pagodin himself, listed as the, quote, resident agent, end quote, quote, You do have to chuckle at the irony of a plaintiff that looks like it was created as a litigation vehicle making this charge. Stephen Pally, 
a partner with the Anderson Kill Law Firm tweeted earlier today. Anderson Kill, I love it. Two we skin him and how. Yes, it's, it's never mind. <clears throat> Interestingly, Bitcoin manipulation abatement was also the plaintiff behind another class action lawsuit filed in November against crypto derivatives exchange FTX. That suit which demanded $150 million from the exchange in exemplary and punitive damage, damages was dismissed a month later. Ripple faces multiple class action lawsuits from investors in California who are claiming damages over the company's alleged failure to register XRP as a security with the SEC and provide the public with the appropriate company documents and disclosures. This new lawsuit echoes many of the same claims made in previous lawsuits against Ripple. XRP is a security because the purchasers were led to believe they could expect a profit and were told that XRP would be a long-term growth asset, the complaint alleges. The law firm for the plaintiff also maintains that XRP is not a currency because, quote, there are no products or services that can be purchased with XRP, unlike decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm which are mined by a decentralized network of nodes, well, Bitcoin is, all 100 billion XRP in existence were created in a centralized manner without incurring any significant, significant costs by Ripple in 2013, according to the complaint. At that time, 20% of the total XRP supply was given to the founders, while the other 80% was re, oh, retained by Ripple itself. Those 80 billion XRP were per, put into an escrow which Ripple has contended in the past that it cannot touch. Yeah, that's bullshit. A portion of the XRP are released from escrow each month, and Ripple in the past has sold XRP on cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, quote, defendants have since earned massive profits by selling off XRP to the general public. You mean dumping bags, bro. Dumping your bags on retail. In numerous offerings, oh God, having sold 1.1 billion in XRP to retail customers in exchange for legal tender current cryptocurrencies, most often Bitcoin and Ethereum, the complaint reads. The complaint goes on to contend that Ripple's sole value proposition as a company depends upon the promotion of XRP, yet XRP is entirely or essentially pre-functional and purchased by investors in anticipation of profit based on the efforts of Ripple. That's a, dude, that's the failure of the Howey test right there, okay? That's why we have a Howey test. Ripple has in the past vigorous, vigorously denied similar allegations in March uh, last year. Ripple CTO David Schwartz took the stage at the annual South by Southwest Festival in Austin and presented his arguments for why XRP should not be considered a security. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has not taken a position on whether XRP is a security. Yeah, not yet. <clears throat> when it's worth their while to do so, you can be damn sure that they probably will. XRP is a security, guys. It, it just is. It is. You, I don't care what David Swartz said, and the fact that he said it on the stage of South by Southwest is not impressive to me. All that does impress upon me is the fact that he's got to make his argument that his coin is not an illegal shit coin to as many people as possible that have anything to do with technology. All right. That's all that that does for me anyway. So, okay. The daily hodl, this is going to be the daily hodl staff as usual. 
writing for the Daily Hoddle sometime earlier today, Bitcoin in space. Blockstream announces major upgrade and push to beam BTC from the cosmos. Well, okay, low Earth orbit is not the freaking cosmos, but okay, I'll give you that. Blockchain technology company Blockstream is rolling out the first major update to its free satellite service that enables anyone with a mesh antenna and a computer to access the Bitcoin network using signals from space. Blockstream leases bandwidth from third-party satellites to provide stable network connections for crypto users who have limited, spotty, or no internet access. In a statement released on Monday, the Canada-based company says Blockstream Satellite 2.0, an upgrade to the satellite network service that it launched in 2017, is now live. The network is powered with more bandwidth and compression and is more efficient. Data capacity is increased from 120 kilobits per second to approximately 1.6 megabits per second. Jesus. And maximum file size capacity for API transmissions is increased from just 10 kilobytes to one megabyte. Holy smokes. That's a huge deal. Oh my God. Quote, using the combination of more bandwidth, better spectral efficiency, improving FEC coding efficiency and lossless Bitcoin transaction compression, Blockstream Satellite 2.0 has over 25 times the data rate compared to 1.0, end quote. The upgrade also eliminates the system's reliance on an internet connection. Users previously needed access to the internet to initially sync their Bitcoin full node, but that is no longer required now that the upgrade enables full history sync. Users can even download the complete blockchain without having to hook up to the web. Blockstream says it also added a new satellite to the network, expanding the coverage over the Asia-Pacific region. God, they're going after it. Okay, so this does not mean that the internet is not necessary for everything Bitcoin. Uh, There's always going to be a situation where the internet is going to be used, at least in the short term. It's not outside the possibility that even mining can take a part of this. Am I saying that that's going to happen right now? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. That's not going to happen right now because it's just way too much bandwidth going on. But you got to remember, the internet itself is only a communications technology. That's all it is. It's not necessary if you if the internet would not be necessary if there was another data transmission network that would be able to work okay and it looks like we might be heading that way between mesh networks between blockstream satellite you know it's getting to the point where it may it may happen all at once is like you know slowly but suddenly kind of thing uh, it may happen all at once that even miners say, you know what, we don't really need an internet connection. We just kind of need this, you know, a satellite and or mesh network and uh, and we're off to the races. Is it going to be that easy? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. It won't be that easy. Is it impossible? No, no, it's not impossible either. It lies somewhere in the gap between, in the space between what we know has to happen And what we're seeing being built, I guarantee you somewhere in that space between is going to be the possibility, the very real possibility of being internet free for Bitcoin if we so choose. 
And if that happens, it's going to be very, it's already going to be almost damn near impossible for any government to stop this shit, even on the internet. If it gets off the internet, it is out, then it's out into the wild. It becomes uncontained. And if Bitcoin becomes truly uncontained, then I'm going to be looking for uh, world governments to fall one by one, one by one, one by one, because why? Money printer go burr. Hey, let's get into some vital statistics. God, I'm so rusty at this. So y'all give me a break. We got CNBC forward slash markets here telling me, let me refresh just to make sure. What are these dudes telling me? Well, they're telling me that, I don't know, everything's just fine. Apparently S&P is up 1.7%. The NASDAQ is up 1.8%. Uh, Dow Jones is up 1.6%. FTSE is up one and a half percent. So I guess everything is just fine. You know, it's, it's, oh, we're apparently we're all going to be fine, fam. Nothing to see here. Move along, move along. Hell, Eve, all the bonds are up. Oh my God. Ex well, I mean, come on. The Japanese 10 year is still in negative territory. The German bund is yielding negative one half percent, which means you're, you're going to be paying to own that son of a bitch. Uh, oil is up. God dang, man. Almost 17%. It's uh, West Texas Intermediate was uh, at 23.82 on its last. That's a change of three and a half bucks per barrel. Natural gas is also up 7%. So I, like I said, I guess everything's going to be fine. You know, nothing to see here, nothing to worry about, but let's look at actual money. Bitcoin is at a price of $8,877. I got a, is that the high? Is that going to be my high? Yep. That's going to be my high, my low. Wow. This is a tight. No, that my high is bit asset at 8,951. My low is going to be 8,849 at P2P B2B. Damn tight trading range. So 320,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours, giving us an average of 13,342 transactions being sent per hour. Uh, 882,000 BTC were sent in that period, and 36,768 BTC are being sent on average per hour, with an average transaction value of 2.7 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.045 BTC, right around 400 bucks. Uh, block time's low at 9 minutes and 44 seconds. We have 0.47 BTC being taken on a per block basis in fees. We have, oh shit, we have 69.6 .6 BTC being taken in fees in the last 24 hours. Hash rate is down 2.75%, but we're still at a hash rate of 125 exahashes per second. Now, we've been hearing about uh, all-time highs on hash rate. I think I got a story in the stack for you on that one. But the last time nobody did dick on Bitcoin was, as you guessed it, sometime today, Ethereum at 203, Bcash at 244, BSV at 204, Litecoin at 46.5, Ethereum Classic is at $7. Wow, Dogecoin. Oh, 
Holy shit! Dogecoin's at 0.0025 and at 30,500 transactions on Doge in the last 24 hours. It's knocking the shit out of Litecoin. And that's about it. That's too bad. I like Doge. I mean, it's a shit coin, but come on, what are you going to do? Now, let's, I'm going to check my node for hash rate and see what the difference is here. If it'll refresh, come on, buddy. Come on, come on, refresh. Did you? Okay, there we go. Uh, my, I'm showing a hash rate uh, daily average being something around 116 exahashes per second and the weekly being somewhere around 117 exahashes per second. Uh, I'm switching to daily to weekly because the uh, interface for my nodes Bitcoin Explorer has changed and they're given a little bit, uh, representing the data in a little bit different way. Uh, and also with a little bit more information, it's, it's nice. Uh, go get my node. Okay. Just Google my node and BTC Bitcoin node, you know, something like that. And you'll find it, go get it, run your own node. You can do it on a raspberry Pi four with a one terabyte hard drive and a dedicated internet connection. And your computer doesn't even have to be on because the raspberry Pi is its own computer. And as long as it's connected to the internet, one of these days, maybe just the, you know, mesh network. I don't know. But for right now, the internet, then you're running a full Bitcoin node. And remember, always run your own node. Now, as far as the last 10 blocks are concerned, I got, let's see, because they've changed everything here. I don't know, man. I, dude, why didn't you, why don't you tell me? Oh, okay. There we go. They, they changed whether, how, how they're representing whether or not these blocks are full and all the blocks are full. I've got averages of 99.8% full across the board. I'm going to go ahead and consider that full. Now, Clark Moody Bitcoin. This is bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. See what the Lightning <clears throat> Network is doing. We got 928 BTC total in the network. We have, that represents 8.2, wow, $8.23 million in liquidity. We have 6,912 nodes representing 35,986 channels. Tor capacity has 401.86 BTC, which means that the percentage of Tor capacity has increased yet again to 43.3%. And as far as I remember tracking this thing, that's an all-time high. We have over 2,000 Tor nodes at exactly 2,010. That's going to do it for Vitals. All right, let's get into the rest of this news. Few Brave Browser users take advantage of crypto features, says CEO. Well, then stop using a shitcoin for it. I don't know. While Brave boasts over 13 million monthly users, few of them appear to be utilizing the cryptocurrency aspect of the platform. If you, you spelt shitcoinery wrong, guys, this is Adrian Zmunsky writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. While enjoying a wide user base, cryptocurrency-enabled web browser Brave's users do not seem to be taking advantage of its shitcoin features. During a May 5th Twitter live stream, the CEO of major crypto exchange Binance, Shengpeng Zhao, 
talked with Brendan Ike, the CEO and co-founder of Brave. Ike said that his crypto-enabled web browser reached 13.8 million monthly active users at the end of April, to which Zhao said, quote, that's probably the most active user base in crypto, to be honest, end quote. Still, Ike admitted that most do not actually use its built-in cryptocurrency features. He said that the number of users who chose to join the crypto-based Brave reward system that had their wallets active over the last 30 days is 1.7 million, about 12.32% of total users. Ike explained that when a user browser, uh, sorry, when a user browses the internet, web activity is measured and tracked and all of the data is used to target advertisements to that individual. He explained how the system works from the advertiser's standpoint, quote, people in advertising working for the brands who make the products, goods, and services we buy will spend a lot of money to try to get you to buy their goods. And so they throw money into this digital ad system and some of it causes you to see an ad or tracks you so they can decide what ad to show you. But at the end of the day, you don't get any of that money. All you get is the ads and the tracking, end quote. Ike explained that Brave Browser's <clears throat> browser blocks traditional advertising and tracking and instead allows the users to choose to participate in a clean ad and donation model, which is private by default. The browser's basic atten attention token, or BAT, which is a misspelling of shitcoin, is meant to be a unit of account for user attention that can be used to support content creators and award users who view ads. Since many brave users are new to cryptocurrencies, Ike explained that the firm is attempting to onboard users by giving them free tokens in exchange for their activity in the Brave Rewards program. This allows users to participate in the system and earn tokens that they can automatically donate to creators or set up monthly contributions, much like Patreon. He continued, quote, When we first released Brave on desktop, it was 40% of the desktop browser share, and as we added mobile, we found people were less willing to use it, but we are working to make it more attractive to use by making it more convenient, making it reward the user more, end quote. The live stream comes shortly after Binance and Brave partnered to integrate the exchange with the desktop version of the browser. The Brave browser desktop version now features a Binance widget that allows users to trade on the exchange. No, okay, guys, you want people to use your shit? Stop using shit coins. There is no reason for me to hold bat. Why? Because I'm reading this from the Brave browser as it is. And you know what I'm not getting? I'm not getting like a whole bunch of ads. I really am not. And when I go to YouTube, all the ads are all the ads are killed. It's amazing how that works. So I have no incentive. I have literally no incentive. And if they force the issue and and get me right back into ads, I'm just going to end up using Chrome. What I like about the Brave browser is that as far as it's uh ad blocking shit, it's it's rock solid. I mean, it's a rock solid platform. I I, I think their incentives are misaligned. I, I, and I think their incentives versus my incentives as a user are misaligned when it comes to bat. If you want to do something cool, God, integrate a lightning wallet. I'd, I'd use that, but I'm not going to get into bat. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm shitcoin, except for Doge, I'm shitcoin free. First mover. Amid economic meltdown, Bitcoin is winning as no value Buffett 
eats crow. This is written today. Uh, who wrote this? Oh, Bradley Keown and Omkar Godbull writing for CoinDesk. Uh, billionaire investor Warren Buffett says he's having a hard time finding attractive investments as the coronavirus ravages the global economy. Maybe he should take advice from professional crypto investors like Pantera Capital's Dan Moorhead and reconsider Bitcoin. You're reading first. Oh, wait, hold on. Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, the 89-year-old Buffett described in February as having no value is up 23% this year to about $8,870. The Standard & Poor's 500 index of large U.S. stocks, which Buffett routinely endorses for amateur investors, is down 12%. Shares of Berkshire Hathaway, Buffett's insurance to utilities conglomerate and investment vehicle, are down 21% in 2020. More ahead, a former Goldman Sachs mortgage bond trader who later oversaw foreign exchange options at Deutsche Bank in London and headed macro trading at the renowned hedge fund Tiger Management started Pantera in 2013 as a Bitcoin investment firm. In a monthly letter last week, he echoed Buffett's sentiment that there's little visibility right now on the global outlook. Quote, this is really distressing, massively confusing time, Moorhead wrote. What's clear already, according to Moorhead, is the pandemic's devastating toll on the economy and the likelihood things won't get much better anytime soon. That means big government deficits are coming, accompanied by unbounded money printing. Money printer go brr. All that bodes well for Bitcoin, according to Moorhead, especially with the additional kicker coming next week from its underlying blockchain quadrennial halving. Where, where the pace of new supply gets cut in half. Bitcoin is seen by major crypto investors as a bulwark against inflation. Quote, like hydrostatic pressure, that flood of new money will float all boats, Moorhead wrote. I strongly believe it's close to inevitable that this will be very positive for cryptocurrency prices. Oh, God. Just... The economic gloom is pretty stark. According to the Wall Street Journal, a report due Friday from the United States government could show the unemployment rate rose to 16% in April, which would represent a record high in data going back to 1948. According to Politico, some estimates put the jobless rate rising to 22%, approaching the Great Depression highs of 24.9%. The U.S. Treasury Department said Monday it will borrow a record $3 trillion this quarter, a six-fold increase over first-quarter levels to help fund coronavirus-related emergency spending. Even Buffett warned at his company's annual shareholder meeting on Saturday of the potential extreme consequences of the Federal Reserve's moves to prop up corporate debt, according to CNBC. Quote, we're doing things that we really don't know the ultimate outcome to, Buffett said. According to the New York Times, Buffett is neither optimistic nor pessimistic, but realistic. These days, though, it's the crypto investors who seem more in touch with reality. Quote, record monetary and fiscal stimulus are now driving the economy and markets as ARCA Funds, a cryptocurrency-focused investment firm, put it on Monday in a newsletter. So far in 2020, the markets are on their side. Quote, if your entire investment in thesis for owning stocks and bonds requires this much intervention just to survive, shouldn't every debt and equity investor at least be willing to listen to alternative thought processes, Arca wrote. I can't fault them for that statement. Hell yeah, bro. To be fair, Buffett says he's looking to spend $30 billion to $50 billion on a special investment, so it might be hard to put that much into Bitcoin without driving the price a lot higher. After all, the cryptocurrency's entire outstanding market value currently stands 
at about $163 billion, Buffett told CNBC interviewer Becky Quick in February that he didn't own any cryptocurrency and never will. He might be missing the boat. There's a growing body of investors who see Bitcoin as a promising investment for such depressing times. According to The Block, the Wall Street firm Jeffries recommends last week that investors buy Bitcoin. And a newsletter sent Monday by the London-based crypto investment firm ID Theory included a chart showing how dramatically money managers turned last week in their bets on Bitcoin futures. And there's a chart that follows, but I can't read a chart on air. It's really difficult. Pantera's Moorhead wrote in his letter last week that Bitcoin prices could climb as high as $115,000 by next year, a 13-fold increase over current levels. Buffett shareholders might drool over such returns. Quote, if you can find something that goes up in the biggest crisis in a century, you should have some of that in your portfolio, Moorhead wrote. I think this is only the beginning. At the meeting on Saturday, Buffett left investors with a sliver of hope, according to the New York Times. Quote, the American miracle, the American magic has always prevailed and it will do so again, he said. Jesus, what a God. Based on the prognostications of crypto investors who this year have proven more oracular than Buffett, that magic might come from entrepreneurs working to develop alternatives to the current financial and monetary system and their inventions, including Bitcoin. Uh, Let's see, is there, there, I think, yeah, the the last part of this is just pricing trends, which nobody knows what the price is going to do. Come on, stop it. Honestly, just really... Stop it. Let's get into this one. Crypto lender BlockFi poaches American Express and Credit Suisse executives. The latest round of hires is meant to help BlockFi expand into European and Asian markets, as well as launch its rewards cards. This is Frank Cardona writing today for Decrypt.co. BlockFi, the financial services company behind Bitcoin savings accounts and loans, is not just taking a page out of the traditional finance industry, is taking some of its executives now, too. The company today announced a new round of hires, and among them are former executives from investment banking giant Credit Suisse and American Express. Whitney Rockland, who drove consumer and commercial growth as the vice president of credit cards and global commercial payments for American Express, is now... BlockFi's new chief growth officer. I've never heard that one before. She will be first tasked with leading the development of BlockFi's Bitcoin rewards cards, which is slated to launch later this year. That should be interesting. The other major hire was David Olson, or Olson, whatever, a former ultra-high net worth investment manager with Credit Suisse and Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Olson will lead the expansion of BlockFi's institutional services into European and Asian markets, according to the company's statement. BlockFi CEO Zach Prince told Decrypt that he thinks the old guard from traditional finance will help validate and grow the nascent crypto lending industry. Watch out, buddy. Watch out. Quote, there are lots of things that the crypto ecosystem can learn and emulate from traditional finance services in terms of marketing, distribution, and incentive alignment. Talented professionals with financial service experience joining the crypto ecosystem is a big positive for the space in terms of validation and capacity to keep building, Mr. Prince said. <sighs> Rockland told Decrypt that while she wasn't a crypto enthusiast, 
that got in on day one, she became fascinated by it after doing her research and realizing it just made sense as an investment. Quote, after I made my first purchase of Bitcoin, which was admittedly recently, I was hooked. Bitcoin has a much wider following than many realize. It's not just for millennials. It's for people who want to invest in the future. And I want to help Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies feel available to the average investor. God, see, I'm gonna have, I feel a rant coming on. Rockland added that she aims to help traditional investors better understand the value of cryptocurrencies. Similarly, Olson told Decrypt that he sees crypto and blockchain as a natural evolution of traditional finance because it provides a much more efficient way of doing business. Inherently, it's much more secure, cost-effective, and fast. Everything you want to build a smart and adaptable investment strategy, he said. I have no doubt that it will become the dominant avenue for markets to operate beyond what these hires can potentially do for BlockFi. Specifically, Prince said he believes that the crossover of executives from traditional finance can help legitimize the fragmented crypto industry and improve its reputation. Quote, its dark web past has nothing to do with its future, said Prince. It's not just something the cool and young kids are doing. It has real value no matter who you are and what your financial or investment goals are and deserves to be accepted as such in quote jesus god that hurt the latest hiring spree comes as blockfi continues to expand its services and market reach in march it raised its interest rates on bitcoin savings accounts to as much as six percent apy and last month it partnered with three arrows capital to open an office in singapore and expand its services into asia Okay, I got way mixed feelings on on this particular not not this story, but this I don't know what to call it honestly this uh, what uh, again, I don't know what to call it. look, going after traditional finance guys uh to come into Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm mixed. I don't I mean, is it a good idea? Well, it depends on, on, you know, what it is that you want. Yes, it will do certain things. Will it expand market, you know, its market share? Well, yeah, I guess. These guys, it's not like they don't know what they're doing. They do. But that's the same people that got us into this shit in the first place. And having them in their grimy little fingers all over Bitcoin makes me nervous as a cat. Now, that said... If Bitcoin cannot take having grimy little fingers all over it, then it's not going to work because the part of the human spirit that I do not appreciate is, is the greed part. And I mean the greed at all cost. Okay. It's good to be want something. Okay. There a little bit of greed, I guess, for lack of a better term as the movie goes is good, but dude, all out fuck you and your mother running until I get all the money that I possibly can and then die. That's, that's not good for Bitcoin. And again, I'll say it, if Bitcoin can't take it, then we've, then this entire space fails. I think it can. The problem becomes what happens in the short term. We're going to have to deal with these assholes coming in from Credit Suisse, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, you know, all these, all these guys that have been responsible in either in part or parcel to all the bullshit that we've experienced over the last 100 years. Because they are fed the same shit that the, their, their mentors learned, which is the same shit that their mentors taught them. 
all the way back to 1913 and the assholes who rode on the train to Jekyll Island to basically screw this country sideways and the rest of the world along with it later on. So that's why I'm mixed. In the long run, it's, it's not really going to matter. Bitcoin's going to Bitcoin. But in the short term and medium, you know, medium term, I don't know. I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like these attitudes. You know, the, the Zach Prince talking about the dark web past of Bitcoin. Screw you, Zach. I don't, I don't, I don't need your prognostication about what Bitcoin was. It's not what Bitcoin was. It's who people are, who people were, and who people will be has nothing to do with the tool. A hammer in the hands of a carpenter will build a house. Same thing in the hands of a freaking psycho will bash a head in. By itself, the hammer just lays there. Bitcoin had nothing to do with the dark markets. It had people using it for such. Please, please get that through your freaking head. I, I don't need somebody at the head of something as big as BlockFi misconstruing the very nature of the shit that made him rich. Sorry, rant over. Telegram withdraws offer to repay investors with Graham tokens. Oh, another shit coiner decides to lie. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Oh, this was actually written uh, May the 4th, 2020. Uh, this is actually written by Anna Betakova for Coindesk. Telegram won't be repaying its investors in Graham tokens after all, <laughs> because they lie. The messaging platform told investors in its ton of blockchain project Monday that it would not be paying investors back in tokens and it was looking to buy American investors out immediately. Yeah, you better. Telegram, which has twice delayed the launch of its new network, is contractually obligated to pay investors back 72% of their investments immediately after missing an April 30 launch deadline, but has offered to pay investors 110% of their investment if they wait one year for the network to go live as it grapples with the United States SEC over whether its token sale violated federal securities law. Yeah, here, dude, uh, spoiler, it did. The company currently hopes to launch in April 2021, pending the outcome of this case. Just last week, Telegram left the door open to investors being repaid in grams. What? Of Coke? Whatever. Writing, <clears throat> if investors agreed to wait that year and leave their money with Telegram as a loan, they could get repaid in Tons native tokens, dubbed grams, or another cryptocurrency, according to the previous communication by Telegram. However... The crypto option has now been deemed infeasible. It's like getting like, you know, whatever. Quote, unfortunately, based on more recent discussions with relevant authorities and our council, we have made the difficult decision not to pursue an option involving grams or another cryptocurrency due to its uncertain reception from the relevant regulators, said the letter, which was shared with Coindesk. The loan option is still there. The letter continues, but the payment will not be in crypto. Telegram is only making the offer to its non-U.S. customers. American customers will be required to accept the 72% payout, the letter said. Quote, this offer is only being made available to offerees outside the United States who are not United States persons within the meaning of Regulation S under the U.S. Securities Act of 1933, Telegram wrote. The investors are asked to reply by 5 p.m. London time on Tuesday, May the 5th, which is today, 2020, to indicate whether they are located outside 
outside the United States. Quote, we intend to ask you to return signed documents in relation to this new transaction by Monday, May the 11th, 2020. So we need your initial response to this email as soon as possible. The letter ends. Why the fuck would you get into this shit? Honestly, why? Why would you even give a shit coin the time of day? I don't have to do any of this with Bitcoin. I don't have to treat it like it's owned by a company because it's not. I don't have to treat it like it's centralized, you know, and, and I have to, I don't know, prove identity or something like that because it's not. But I have to, if I wanted to get into Telegram, if I was one of the, the idiots that, that pumped this stupid thing when it first came out, I would have to be, I'd have to sign documents. Well, I don't want to do that. I already have plenty of documents to sign. I don't need to sign any more documents when it comes to this stuff. Again, this is why I Bitcoin. According to Russian news publication, The Bell, U.S. investors received a different version of the letter, explicitly saying they can only take back 72% of their investment. So you skinned them, huh? Telegram did not address its intention to possibly sell equity to raise the funds it needs to repay investors in Monday's letter. Spokesperson Remy Vaughn previously told CoinDesk that investors in the Tawn project itself won't receive equity as repayment, but the company might raise cash through equity sales. How is this not breaking every single law ever? Ever in every country that's ever been alive. Telegram, which raised $1.7 billion in 2018 for its Ton blockchain, has already delayed Ton's launch once due to regulatory concerns. The network was originally set to go live on October the 30th, but was delayed to April 30th, 2020, after the SEC sued Telegram on allegations of violating securities law last year. The latest delay comes after a judge upheld a preliminary injunction prohibiting the issuance of Gram tokens. Again, guys, this is exactly why I Bitcoin. Uh, let's do a daily train wreck. This train wreck is brought to you by Peter Schiff via J. Williams F. Stimid. Not exactly sure how to pronounce that one. Uh, because uh, Jay Williams who on Twitter says he uh, just helped my 12-year-old daughter go all in on Bitcoin. Quote, I want to put all my money in Bitcoin, Dad. Can you help? End quote. Well, Peter Schiff decided to take time out of his brilliant ass day to write back and say, because taking financial advice from a 12-year-old makes so much sense. Your daughter is only 12. We do a lot of foolish things when we're young. That's to be expected. What's your excuse? At least she will learn a valuable life lesson by only losing a small amount of money. That was a hell of a train wreck because, I mean, I've never, you know, Peter Schiff gets things wrong all the time, but this wasn't just because he's, you know, he, he's shitting on Bitcoin because, you know, Peter Schiff always does that, right? I'm trying to figure out why Jay Williams is somehow taking financial advice from a 12-year-old because she's not saying, dad, I want you to put all your money into Bitcoin She's saying, will you help me put my money, which is like, what, 20 bucks 
But okay, uh, in today's prices, I'm going to say 20 bucks a week in allowance. All right, she's 12, so or 20 bucks a month. Let's say 20 bucks a month, not 20 bucks a week. 20 bucks a month. Okay, she's 12. Maybe she's been earning an allowance since she was 10, or let's say nine, something like that. Still, you're not talking about a lot of money. This is her money. This this if she she was wanting to learn about how this thing works. Okay. This is not, again, this is why I don't like using the word investment when it comes to Bitcoin. I don't think of it as an investment. I think of it as a door out of this hell that we've made. I got a 12 year old girl here who's asking her dad to teach me how to put my money into Bitcoin. And somehow or another, Peter thinks, I guess, frames it in a way that she's giving him advice. I, it's like, it's, it's almost like the man cannot have a good, positive, cognitive thought anymore, except maybe how to remember how to go use the bathroom. I don't know, man, but it's just, it's become ridiculous. So um, I'd, I'd send Peter Schiff a little bit of gold digitally to make him feel better, but you know, that, that's impossible. Okay. 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 All right. Now, okay. Let's, let, let's get into, uh, let's go ahead and do the joke. Now this was way, I was going to do, uh, this one. Did I do this one? I might've already done this one, but it's been so long. I might have to do it twice. Crypto fungus is bringing you this one. I'd make an oil joke, but I don't want to be crude. Sell, sell, sell. Oh, missed it. I missed it. I missed it. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Like I said, I'm rusty. Give me a break. All right. So chicken report, uh, chicken report. Chickens are doing good. Chickens are getting big. They're not putting on weight as fast as I want them to, but they're doing something even more interesting. They're putting themselves up at night at the exact same time relative to the sunlight, not to the actual time on your watch, but relative to sunlight. They put themselves up all by themselves. I don't have to put food in their coop. I don't have to put their water in their coop. I just leave their coop open. Because uh, what, what we've been doing is we've been letting them, uh, I've been putting them in the chicken tractor to concentrate their chickenness and their poop into certain areas. But I don't want to leave them confined because it's like, you know, chickens should be able to go out and be chickens. So early in the morning and late in the evening, I, I let them out. They're in the chicken tractor now about, you know, anywhere between five and eight hours every single day, but for, you know, a couple of hours or at least an hour in the morning and a couple of hours at the evening, I just let them out. I, I don't, you know, put them up. And then I leave the door open to their chicken coop. And what I've been noticing over the last two or three weeks is that I turn around and the chickens aren't in the yard. And then I go over to the coop, doors wide open. I go over to the coop and all six chickens are inside laying down getting ready. And all I have to do is close the door. I got to tell you, man, these animals, not only do they make very pleasant sounds are very soothing to watch. They do funny things like peck your shoe. Uh, sometimes they stand on my shoe. Yesterday I had four chickens all at once pecking my shoe and it made me laugh. Anything that makes you smile and then gives you eggs and is as cheap to feed as chickens is and as easy to manage them as these birds are, you should consider getting chickens. Unless you live in a place that is, you know, the department of making you sad is going to show up and tell you that you're in trouble because of it. 
But if you can, I, I got it. I I got to tell you, man, I highly recommend these animals. Just get layer chickens. They're just, I mean, they're at, they're honestly for as stupid as they are. They're sweet. They're really sweet little birds. Um, now other report, fruit tree report. I put in eight fruit trees. I planted them Sunday. Um, I bought them on Saturday, uh, got them home and all the trees are, these are not bare root trees. I put some bare root in, uh, like, a, uh, like about a month ago and not doing so well, but you know, what are you gonna do? I bought them from tractor supply. They were probably mishandled. Uh, these fruit trees actually came in five gallon buckets and were at a local, uh, nursery and they did a, a right fine job potting these things up and keeping them alive to be one year, two year old trees. Each one cost me the apples and the plums cost me 35 bucks a piece. And there's cherry trees and those were for whatever reason were 40 bucks a piece. So they were, you know, five bucks. So I spent $300 on eight trees, you know, right around after taxes and all that shit. When I got them home, I put them in the shade, watered them real well and forgot about them for at least a day, just so that they get over that shock. Because my thing about transplant shock is you go get them, you lay them down sideways, you truck them home, uh, and then you set them up and then you plug them right into the ground. That's a lot of stress to go through all in one damn day. So that's one of the reasons why that first stress, the transport stress, I let them kind of, you know, burn that off just by laying in the shade and then going through the night with a whole bunch of water and woke up the next day. Okay, I'm I'm still good. And then I planted them all out on Sunday. And they I got I think I'm going to have to stake one of the apple trees up cuz it's kind of leaning. Um but they're all in and I'm not seeing like any signs of transplant shock yet. But it's only been Sunday. So we will have to see, but, uh, I got three cherry trees. I got a sour cherry, which is a Montmorency. I got a black cherry and then I got a Bing cherry. Your Bing cherry is your, what most people actually know of as, as cherries. And then there's two plum trees and one's a dark purple plum. And then one's a, a bright red plum. And then three apple trees, a granny Smith, green apple, a red, delicious red apple and a gala red apple variety. So those are the trees they're in my backyard. I'm trying to extend this part of my backyard that has a lot of shade. So I'm planting trees on either side of it, um, uh, to the North and to the South so that I get even more Western shade on the Western side of my house because summer, well, it's not going to work this summer and probably not next summer because trees don't go that fast, but eventually I'm hoping that they'll cast a lot more shade than what I'm getting now, which is none. Uh, and this West Texas sun is beyond brutal. If you've ever been out here in the summertime, it's dry, but my God, that sun will beat you like a baseball bat, man. Anyway, uh, glad to be back. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.